Regardless of the strength of an organization's IT security policies and controls, it won't know how adequate its defenses are if it doesn't regularly verify that they're sound, uncompromised, and applied in a consistent manner. And to achieve such assurances, a new paper from the accounting and business services firm PricewaterhouseCoopers contends internal audits perform a vital role to verify the reliability of cyber defenses. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to be joined by Carolyn Holcomb, a partner and leader of PW sees risk assurance data protection and privacy practice. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you, Eric. We'll get to internal audits specifically in a moment. The paper entitled Fortifying Your Defense, the Role of Internal Audit in Assuring Data Security and Privacy identifies four barriers organizations commonly face in adopting effective data security and privacy measures. What are those barriers and what can organizations do to surmount them? Right, Eric. There definitely are some challenges and barriers. The four that we talk about are first a mindset where the organization already believes that controls are in place. And it can be a real false sense of security when an organization has been PCI certified or ISO certified and and they get to think that therefore everything's okay and they're not going to have a problem with privacy and security. Number two would be cost. It, It can be very expensive both from a people perspective as well as a technology perspective to put enough measures in place to really protect the organization. Thirdly, and interestingly, low expectations. So a lot of companies may not expect a lot of their internal audit department, and they may think that whatever they're doing is good enough. And then lastly, the fourth one we talk about is fragmented responsibilities, where the roles and responsibilities for privacy and information security may not be really fully defined throughout across the organization, and therefore people aren't really sure who's in charge. When you spoke about low expectations, you said they may not expect a lot of the internal audit organization or of themselves? Well, typically, yeah, of the, of the internal audit organization, and they're not really sure what all they should be doing, what internal audit should be looking at, what their skills need to be. Because a lot of times privacy and security can be very technical, especially when you get into the system side of security. And so really having people on staff who are qualified to look at the risks within this area can be quite a challenge. The paper concludes that organizations should institute and continually shore up three lines of defense to combat the ever-increasing attacks on their data. First, management. Second, risk management and compliance. And third, internal audit. Please take a few moments to explain each. First, management. Sure. So management, the general leadership within the organization, first needs to take responsibility for information security and privacy. When you say the leadership of the organization, you're talking like the CEO, the CFO? Well, so the CEO and CFO need to set the tone, but then they need to designate somebody, and it is probably not them, to be responsible for privacy and security. So somebody's job description needs to say, this is what I'm going to look at, and this is what I'm going to make sure works well. And it's interesting, we looked at the Fortune 100 companies a few months ago, and within those, only 50 had somebody that they called the chief privacy officer. So a lot of the other organizations have either split the responsibilities or given it to somebody lower in the organization. And so it's critical that that the top leadership really figure out who's going to be looking over these areas. Have you found in some organizations that the chief information security officer also serves as a chief privacy officer or at least takes on some of those responsibilities? Yes, right. That's a very common one where they'll just say, you're already the CISO, Let's add privacy to your list of things to do. Yep. Is that good or bad? Um, 
we tend to think it's better to do it a different way and to actually have somebody who's responsible for privacy. At PwC, we often find that privacy needs a legal bent to it. And you need someone who's got some legal training or someone in their department who's a lawyer who can really understand all the privacy laws around the globe and within the various states of the U.S. because it's a very complex legal environment. And so that can often be pretty challenging for a CISO to take on. Next in in those three areas was risk management and compliance functions. What do you mean by that? So this is a, a different function, so not the line management, not the CISO or the chief privacy officer, but a special function that most companies have that is designated to handle risk and compliance. And so this is a recommendation to now add privacy and information security to that group. That group may already be looking at laws in different areas, compliance requirements in different areas, but now adding information security and privacy specifically to that group as a second layer to your defense. Would this be part of a trend? I guess I hear things called uh, enterprise risk risk management by adding privacy and uh, information to that. Is that part of that trend? Right, yeah. So sometimes your ERM, your enterprise risk management, is in this group. And some companies have a chief risk officer. At PwC, we've actually seen a trend lately where companies are forming a risk committee at the board level. So even somebody for this risk management and compliance function to report to, and a group of people at the board level who really understand regulatory compliance and privacy type risks. Is something happening in business or government or whatever, in the sense that risk management needs to be looked more broadly? Yes, I think, you know, surveys actually certainly opened a lot of people's eyes to the financial risk, but there's a lot more risk that some organizations have looked at and some have only looked at high level. I think what's happening is it's a little bit like doctors specializing in different areas in business. It's the same thing. You want people who are specialized in different areas and can really understand risks that go across the organization. And the risks can be very broad. And so organizations have seen a need to kind of put that under one umbrella such that there is some governance that says, are we catching all the risks or is there some that we're ignoring? The third area was internal audits. Right. So internal audit now is the monitoring function. If you have the management doing the process, the compliance function, making sure that everything, all the laws and regulations are complied with, risk is addressed. Now internal audit is the one to look over everybody's shoulders and really make sure that the discipline is there and that things are not falling through the cracks, things have been followed up on. An internal audit is the one that usually has the reporting relationship to the audit committee at the board level to make sure that the board is actually hearing about the risks and hearing whether management is keeping up with and addressing them or not. Let's talk about these internal auditors. Who are they? What kind of skills do they need and where are companies funding them? So I think the internal auditor skills have changed quite a bit. There was a time when many internal auditors were really focused on finance-type audits and had financial-type skills. And then that evolved into compliance-type skills. And now it's really getting very broad. And so organizations are looking for people who have, they of course have to have the basic auditing skills. You have to have some auditing background. But on top of that, they're also looking for people who either understand privacy or security or FDA risks or whatever the case may be, something around mergers and acquisitions. 
Now, oftentimes, we at PwC certainly see that organizations need to co-source or look to a third party or have somebody help them with those very specialized audits because it's very difficult to keep all those skills on staff because you may not need them full time. Of course, there's been IT auditors around for decades. What is different today than maybe five years ago, 10, 20 years ago when it comes to uh, IT audits? Probably one of the, the biggest things is just the pace of change. You know, technology is just changing so fast that it's hard for anyone to really keep up with knowing the different technologies and all the security in the technologies. We certainly see the hackers get ahead of the curve very fast, and therefore the auditors need to try to keep up. It's often beneficial for an organization to look for somebody who really has specialized security skills, who's more in a consulting practice because that's someone who is seeing security and seeing technologies across the board, keeping up with it on a daily basis and not just focused on the one at the organization. So I would say the pace of change is what's really driving quite a bit of that. When it comes to implementing internal audits, so in IT and IT security, what do you hear from your clients? What are some of their major concerns? My clients are first concerned about, are we looking at the right risks? Do we really understand the risks? Because I think especially in IT and in technology, it's, it's easy to miss the risks if you don't really understand the technology or really understand how breaches occur and, and how hackers get in and, and how people steal data. But that's probably the biggest risk is, do I have the right people who understand this and are they doing enough? You have these audits. How should the business owners of these systems react differently to these audits today than maybe they would have in the past? Uh, I would say the uh, so the management folks who are, are actually operating the systems and things, they need to also be open. So first, they're the ones who do see the system every day and understand the technology very well. So they should first voice their concerns to the auditor, and they should know, in most cases, where they think the risks lie. Certainly, that's what I see at my clients. Those folks know what we should be concerned about, what the audit committee should know about. So that's the first thing I would say is they should communicate. And then when the internal auditors find something else as well, there needs to be a very practical look at whatever the observation is to say, is that something we can actually address or is it not? And if we can, how soon? What will it cost? There's certainly a lot to think about there. And sometimes there's a cost-benefit analysis. And that's another benefit of what we call the second line of defense, where the risk management and compliance function can help assess whether management's making a good business decision to either accept a risk or do something to address the risk. One of my hats is being uh, editor of GovInfo Security. And one complaint I often hear from CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers, when they're ordered by their either the Inspector General or by the Government Accountability Office is, yeah, they may not be following specifically, say, the Federal Information Security Management Act, but they're doing the best what they feel to secure their IT organizations. And what they're pointing out in the audits may not be as important. Is that a problem with auditing at all? Oh, I think it is for sure, yes. I, I think that's a very valid point. There's a lot that goes into that where management may not think that the internal audit had any credit to it. They may not agree with it. They don't even agree with the way the internal audit was conducted, or they don't think the internal audit addressed the most serious risks. So we try to help organizations think through what is the framework 
that the company should be using and give themselves some solid footing. So for example, using the ISO standard or the NIST standard or in the case of privacy, generally accepted privacy principles so that they have something to talk to auditors about to say, hey, I've used this as my baseline. This is what makes sense in my organization. And it could be a combination of several frameworks because those are well-known, documented, tried and true frameworks that auditors will look to and will put some stock in. And that helps give you credibility. Is there any difference in a way business systems owners and auditors talk to one another or communicate with one another today that's maybe different from a few years ago? How should that process be improved? <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes they continue to talk past each other. I think uh, the terminology can be challenging. The auditors tend to talk about controls and the CISOs tend to talk about technologies. I think both parties do really have to be careful and try to talk each other's language so that they can understand and really get to what each other is saying. I think that is really important and I do think it can be improved by both parties really trying to understand the other one's perspective. Should the relationship between the auditor and the business system owner be adversarial? Should it be a collaborative effort, or is there something in the middle? Right. Definitely should not be uh, adversarial. I would say that that doesn't get them anywhere. It should definitely be something collaborative. Now, the internal auditor has the responsibility of remaining independent, but they need to be competent. They need to be objective. But you can maintain that and also have a very collaborative working relationship with management because... Both parties should have the same objective, which is to better secure the organization and comply with laws and regulations. So if everybody's got the same objective in mind, it should be a very good working, open relationship. And certainly at PwC, the, the clients that we see that do this the best, that's how it is. And management calls internal audit and says, would you please come audit X, Y, and Z? I'd like to know if I'm doing it as well as I could or if you can tell me of a way to improve it. Those, those are the most effective internal audit functions. Do you have any final thoughts? I think the only thing I would add is, is governance. I want to make sure we point out that governance is really critical, both in the management function, so to whom does a chief privacy officer report, where does the CISO report, is their voice heard, is someone listening, and do they have enough visibility and credibility, and then the same thing for the internal audit department. So who is the head of internal audit, to whom does he report or she, and are they listening? And do they have an open dialogue where risks can be vetted and remediation actions can be followed up on to make sure that they're addressed timely? Are there best practices on who, which of these people should report to whom, or is it just having some kind of governance in place done and, and execute on it? There certainly are a variety of models that work. Most commonly, a CISO is reporting to a CIO. That's not necessarily what we'd always recommend. Sometimes that does work, but a lot of times you want to be able to have security and privacy reporting more to like that compliance function, and you want them to be fairly senior people. That we've certainly seen a trend where those people have been elevated within or so uh, critical to the, to the company. So it's mostly making sure they're at the right level and being independently heard as opposed to being buried somewhere in security or excuse me, somewhere in IT. And the auditors, who should they be reporting to? 
The head of internal audit definitely should report to the audit committee. Now, that may not be administrative reporting. Administratively, they often report to a CFO or a COO or a chief risk officer. Any of those are probably fine as long as that's working and as long as the communication flows. But the head of internal audit needs to report directly to the audit committee so that they can get directly to the board if they think there's a risk that's not being addressed. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks, Eric. Good talking with you. I've been speaking with Carolyn Holcomb, a partner and leader of PricewaterhouseCoopers Risk Assurance Data Protection and Privacy Practice. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.